would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12? We do something here. uh, We use the Bible. And while you're uh, turning to Romans chapter 12, I, I want to uh, give you a little quick update from our friends. This was yesterday in Kawalira, Uganda. They're putting a floor in the church uh, building this week so that, that the crew has showed up and um, the little wet cement going in so that floor will be done by this week and they're going to put windows in there. Now, keeping in mind, they've already got the clinic and the school and the well, this was really the last of what we were doing over there. So we're just so grateful and, and we get to see what God is doing. They've sent us a really lovely email thanking us for uh, your generosity. So I just want to thank you for that this morning. So Romans chapter 12, I'm not going to read verses 1 through 8 again. We're going to go verses 9 through 21 uh, as we close out this series this week on the power of, of the seven, the seven gifts of Romans 12. Love must be sincere. Verse 9, hate what is evil cling to what is good, which is, seems to be in Western culture the exact opposite of what we have experienced in the past few years. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality for those of you that had the coffee ready for us this morning. You have nailed it on your practice of hospitality, right? Glory to God. We should have a moment. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, this is good advice for anyone who signs into any social media this week. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written. It is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and he's quoting from Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, In the chaos of just life in Middle Tennessee, we take a moment to disconnect from the world and to connect with you this morning in your word. I pray that it'll be a light, a lamp, a voice of correction, a voice of encouragement, and then it will be the real living active word of God moving in our hearts today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I was reading the, the CNN.com this week. Do you guys read the CNN? Do you know what I'm talking about? The CNN? <laughs> Sorry. In the 90s, we called it the Clinton News Network. I don't know what you call it now. But do you ever, some of you are old enough to remember that joke. I'm Sorry. 
I tend to read lots of different news sources. So just, you know, like I'm, I read everything from the Journal to the Times and, my, you know, there's a lot of... Anyway, this week on CNN, there was a, a story that they were uh, basically talking about some information that the Pew Research Center, uh, Center has uh, put together. And uh, can we just start with the real question here? Who's answering these polls? I mean, this, actually, this is, uh, this is not planned. If you answered a phone call this week from a polling company in the last year and answered it and actually did it, would you raise your hand? I'm just curious. Tony, of course. Sorry, sorry, that was shaming you. I meant that as a compliment. <laughs> I, I didn't mean it that way. Tony's a responsible, upstanding citizen. I'm just saying, when, I, when the 800 number pops up, I'm not taking it. The other night someone called and it was one of those polling opinion researchers. They said, can you talk to Shannon? Can I talk to Shannon Tyler? And I said, no. And he said, okay, bye. <laughs> um, but the point is, I don't know who's talking to these people, but somebody is. And they managed to talk to 4,700 people and ask them a question, which is, uh, if you go to church, why? And if you don't go to church, why? That's basically the question. Now, you randomly call 4,700 people. God only knows what you're going to get. So I don't know. They, they will say this. They ask specifically if you go to church regularly, and they defined regular as once a month. And for some of you guys, you're like, I'm nailing regular church attendance, <laughs> crushing it. Once a month is a regular according to this. So we've lowered the standard a little bit, but be that as it may. They're saying that for those that have, say, I do go to church, you know, why would you do that? Uh, and, and these are some of the answers that they gave. They were saying that uh, for those that do, now, for all we know, 14 people out of 4,700 said, yes, I go to church once a month. We just don't know. But of that number, 81% said they were doing it to become closer to God. Uh, 69% said this so their children will have a, a moral foundation. Uh, third, uh, 68, almost 70% said to become a better person. How's that working out for you? Um, Number six, interestingly enough, on the list, uh, just a little over half at 57% said that it was to be part of a faith community. So these are the reasons why, if you go to church on a regular basis, these are some of the reasons, you might see some of your reasons on there. Um, for those of you in the 16% uh, to please your family or spouse this morning, gotcha, man. I, I, you're good. You're good. Uh, Jesus loves you. Um, according, and some of your kids, like, my mom drugged me in here. On the other hand, those who didn't go to church at all, why wouldn't they go? And uh, number one reason, 37% said, I practice my faith in other ways. Uh, the, the second reason at 28%, they're not believers, which parenthetically, if you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, by all means, sleep in. Get your lawn done. Like, they, like we can all go home. If Jesus didn't resurrect, we're done here, okay? But he did, I believe he did, and that's why we're all here, but... As I was reading through this, I was really, um, I don't know, I was just really tossing through, like, what, what, what is all, it just didn't sit well with me. And then they actually say in this article, which I found very interesting, when you start to think of those who are not going to church, or those who go just because they're going to worship other ways, you begin to think of like, you know, San Francisco, no disrespect, I'm sorry, you, <laughs> we got San Francisco people here. You think of West Coast, you know, the, the, people that are, you know, more liberal or whatever, like whatever. You begin to think of those, but here's what they said in these numbers that I thought was absolutely fascinating. When you read, this is a quote from the article, when you read the phrase, practice their faith other ways, unquote, it may be tempting to visualize dreadlock jubus. Has anybody heard that word before? Right? Nor have I, but a simple Google search. I figured out, and it can't be offensive because CNN says it, that 
it's a combination of Judaism. They, com- they combine Judaism and Buddhism together in some like amalgamation. It's basically a word that I don't think they mean pejoratively that means I'm just mixing all the stuff together, like a, a, a gumbo of, of spirituality. So it's tempting to visualize that, like the, the dreadlock jubus and the Thoreau wannabes wandering barefoot on, around on Walden Pond, listening to Don Henley, probably. But that's not the picture that the Pew data paints. The believers most likely to say their practice, they practice their faith in, quote, other ways are not spiritual freelancers with the disdain for discipline. Listen, they are Republican women in their 50s, and a lot of them are Christians. <laughs> right? Now, for those of you that, uh, in first service, uh, Laura Holderman's like, hey, that's me. <laughs> I was like, congratulations, you're crushing it, you're on, you know, beating the odds. But I thought that was intriguing to me because I thought, man, when else have I heard a number like that before of women 45 to 64 and, and a, a big number in a category? And I, I remembered that it was just in June when I saw the article, uh, it was right after Kate Spade had uh, uh, passed away, that the, there was in every measurable category of people in the past 20 years, the rate of suicide has gone down, except in one category, actually two categories, one specifically, the highest one, middle-aged white women ages 45 to 64, up by almost 20%. The second category, by the way, is middle-aged men, white men ages 45 to 64. The suicide rate in every other place in society has gone down except in those two categories. And in that one specifically, in women, it went up higher than even men did. What is going on? Now, if I were a wise pastor and, and, and enjoyed manipulation, I would say it's because you need to get your butt in church. But that's not what's happening here. I think that what's happening here, the reason that this number correlates with that number, the women that are, are they're dying in these places right now in this way, they're not dying because they're not going to church. They're dying because they don't have purpose and they don't have meaning and they don't belong and they don't feel like they matter and it's killing them. And what I see here is they're checking out of church the one place that should be, could be that for them and they're checking out and it's not their fault. Not 100%. Because in our church world, I think that what we have, the gift of right here, this Romans 12, these seven gifts, tell us that everybody belongs. Everybody matters. But most of us have been around a church experience, and I, I hate to use this in a general statement because, man, there's, there are great churches we're all just trying to do. Sometimes I say it's like we're playing Jesus pinata. We're just swinging and hope we hit it. You know, We're just trying to do what's right. But to come to a church world where you could belong and matter means that the church has to offer opportunities, invite you into the opportunity to deliver the gift that you've been given. And it means that when you've been given and invited into those opportunities that you participate in it. So there's a little of a both and, if you know what I'm saying. But what I'm looking at, when I look at Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, I see a church described that I would love to grow old in. I see a church in this, that this, if we're looking for a template of what you could do to keep busy, this is pretty good stuff right here. It was Francis Chan that says that the danger for Christianity, for churches, isn't that we fail. He said the danger is that we succeed at stuff that doesn't matter. And as I'm reading through this power of the seven, these gifts that he's given us, saying that he uses the, the metaphor of a body part, he's describing these gifts in a way that says that, man, your gift matters. Like, Gary, your gift matters. Mine matters. I belong. I'm needed. I'm wanted. I, 
That's the church he's describing here in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Is it any accident that he lays all this out immediately following this idea that offer yourself as a living sacrifice? holy and acceptable. Figuring out who you are, which, which of these seven gifts is yours, figuring out what that is, developing it, fighting for the freedom of it, and then deploying and delivering it together. This only works in the context, my value in this, my, it only matters in the context of the other body parts. You know, I joked last week, my wife said I went a little far, and it's, I guess that's really nothing new, is it? But, you know, if you lose a finger right? Like the fingers really have no use anymore. You can use it for a necklace or put it in a jar or on the pantry, but in the pantry or whatever, but, but it really, it dies without the rest. The, the rest of the body can adapt, by the way, and it does. One of my favorite bass players in the world is a guy named Gary Lunn. Anybody know Gary? Some of you guys know Gary. Do you ever notice that Gary is missing his ring finger in an unfortunate lawnmower accident? Now that ring finger is long gone. But the rest of the hand figured it out. Like, you can, it, but it could be. Think how good he'd be. I mean, dude is sick without it, but think how good he'd be with it. The rest of the body adapts, but when you separate and pull yourself apart from it, the one who is isolated the most is the one who suffers the most. And I think that whether it's addiction, one of the greatest causes of addiction in general is, is isolation just makes it worse, so you pull yourself away from it, pulling yourself away from the body of Christ, pulling yourself away from a family that matters. This is not, by the way, any sort of, I'm not meaning at all to say anything about uh, shaming you, about saying you gotta be in church every Sunday. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if you're asking yourself, why do I go to church? Maybe we're asking the wrong question, and that's why we're getting the wrong answer. When we started Conduit, it's been uh, almost eight years ago now. Uh, my wife and I, were, I mean, it's honestly the dumbest thing we've ever done. And we've done some dumb things. <laughs> and what I mean by that is look around town. Does, does Nashville really need another church? That was the question I was asking. I mean, I was embarrassed. It took me three years before I'd admit to somebody on a plane that I was a pastor. I just was embarrassed. Like, there's so many churches. What do we do? But which, by the way, that's what Michael and Cindy Easley are doing this morning up in Franklin, so solidarity to them and prayers for Michael and Cindy Easley. What I learned was it wasn't stupid to start a church. It's only stupid as if, I'm, if that's what I'm doing. The question was not am I starting another church. The question was, was there a need for a group of Christ followers to get together and do some stuff that Jesus needed them to do? To ask it differently, is it, does Nashville need another church? Maybe. What Nashville might need is a group of Jesus people on mission together, the mission that Jesus gave them to do together. If that's the question, the answer seems to have been yes. And the invitation for all of us isn't just to go to church. The invitation is, is to join the mission that Jesus has given. Now, by the way, we don't have to make up a new mission. Jesus gave us one. I, I don't think that uh, the church needs to get a mission statement. Jesus gave us one. The question isn't, does the church need a mission, but did the mission need a church? Us coming together, we can do more together than we could separately. And when I look at these seven gifts, these beautiful seven gifts and the different expressions of what they look like in each of us, when we come together, he, he says it right here that we can come together in harmony together. First, we're going to honor each other. We're going to be in harmony with each other. And then we're going to heap hopping, hop, hyping, <laughs> heaping coals of kindness because the ultimate mission that he's given us to bring the gospel to the world one of the most effective ways to do that, he says there in verse 21, is don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And as a church family coming together, we have that beautiful opportunity, you and yours and mine and mine, to do that together by starting with just simply honoring each other. That's the first thing. He says that in verse 10, to honor one another, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. That's so hard and yet so simple. Hard because it has to, I have to admit that I have a weakness. I honor it, someone, by the way, this is a financial term, like American Pickers. You know the American Pickers? That dude lives in Franklin. Do you know that? I see him driving around town. Anyway, he goes in and he, he finds something, he puts a value on it that's attached to it based on some other baseline somewhere that I don't, it looks like a, just an old dumpy bike to me, but for some reason it's worth $1,000. The, the number that he's giving is honoring that based on other information. That's the, the word, that's the idea of that word. To, to put it in a different way, if my car is messed up and broken, I honor Phil by paying him to fix it. Because the last thing I need to be doing is digging under the hood and figuring that out. I'm honored. You say, so when you pay somebody, you know, uh, Dr. Cottle and I were talking this morning. He's like, one of the great things about being a doctor is I, just need, I don't need to know everything. I just need to know somebody who does. And I can send them to that person and their expertise. We do that on a regular basis around here when it comes to things like if someone's marriage is in trouble, we send them to, to Kimberly and, and marriage helper when someone is needing help with, uh, with another. We, just, we learn to send people where they go, someone who knows what they're doing. We honor them by that. I did some tile work in my... Uh, ba- tile is really not the right word of what I did. <laughs> we sold the house. But be that as it may... When someone hires Jim Henderson to do work for architecture or design or whatever, when it comes to that, they're honoring him. They're saying, he does that better than I do, so I'm going to actually pay him money to do that. And what he's saying here is that we honor each other when I stay in my lane and allow you to do what God has called you to do. It's honoring. It's, it, the admission is that, look, I'm not very smart in that way. I don't have that specific gifting, so I'm honoring you and allowing you to do it. And here's the best thing. It's so scary because I don't want you to reject me or I don't want to feel like I'm not valuable, but that's not at all what happens. What happens is I feel super free about it all of a sudden. I'm not trying to claw my own eyes out. It's something I don't want to do. And this is what he says is going to happen right here. He says, so honor one another above yourself, saying this is your gift. Let them do their gift. And here's what's going to happen. You're never going to be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord It's such a gift to let someone else do that because I'm not stressing about it anymore. I'm letting someone else stay in their lane. It allows me to honor them. And then in the role where I'm at, I get to be honored in my thing. And together, we become the strength of the body of Christ in this mission to overcome evil with good. He goes on to talk about being patient in affliction. I think the reason we can be patient in affliction if we're acting this way isn't that I have to force myself to be patient in affliction. You've heard me quote this book, uh, Tribe on Homecoming by Sebastian Younger. A guy is a secular humanist. He's an anthropologist. He's a war correspondent. Wrote this fascinating book about why humans need each other. And he's really trying to unpack why, as a culture, the suicide rate, the depression, and the anxiety in Western culture is where it is. And what he's come to the conclusion of is that our culture has done such a good job of of, uh, protecting us from uh, adversity 
from affliction that ironically it's killing us. Because he says this, he says in his book, humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. It's time for that to change. What he is saying from a purely scientific anthropological I might need my spark now, Chris. Uh, anthropological statement is that we need each other to be wired together. We need each other to, I need to know that I matter. You matter. And in our society, I'm going to go home today. I'm going to shut my door in my house and I might not see my neighbors till Thursday. Right? In, a, in our world, we were not made and wired to be that way. In a developing nation, when you go, you, I've showed these pictures from Africa this morning. Many of you have traveled to those kinds of places before. What you know is that they live outside, they sleep inside. That when you see little boys and girls going to fetch water as, as, as small children, as Americans, I feel really sad for them that they're having to do that. But you know what that told them that day? I matter, I belong. I'm needed, I'm necessary here. If we are not wired together in that way, it literally, if he doesn't get water, if mom isn't doing laundry, if dad isn't out in the garden, this whole thing comes apart. Everybody's needed, but modern society has perfected the art of us not being needed. Now, we have a couple of options. One, we could go start a cult out in the back nine and build a thing and get on the news. Um, but that's not a very good option. I mean, being a cult leader, I think, is highly overrated. These guys always <laughs> end up in prison, something weird going on, so I'm not interested in any of that. Another option is we could all move to Africa and move into a village and be like that. Now, I want to tell you that, that I don't think that is a good option, and here's why. Because in the fallen world of Genesis 3 that we live in, they are suffering physically, okay? Now, they are thriving relationally. Everybody that's ever gone, they say the same thing. There's so much joy. There's so much happiness. I wish I could have that happiness. And they're saying, I'm dying of dysentery. I have this parasite. I can't, this physical health, this ailment. So in the fallen world, they might be rich in relationship, but they're going to be poor in physical health. Here, we're drowning in good water. I just dump it on my lawn. I got so much water. But I'm dying Emotionally, if, I'm, if I isolate myself off. In the fallen world, we will never, until we get back to Eden, until we get to his kingdom come, his will be done. We're always going to have to work towards this thing in the fallen world. And for us, our, just to put it this way, the clean water issue of our culture is the water for our souls, not for our bodies. And we're drilling wells all over the world and no apology will continue to. And in our society, I'm asking you, would you be willing to drill the waters to your soul for each other? You'll see it in Africa all the time when a little, we'll put a well in some place, which we did it in Haiti, probably the worst $5,000 we ever spent, Joanne, was we put this little uh, battery-powered water purifier at the church. Uh, I was right after the earthquake. Some guy saw me coming and sold me this water purifier. Here's what happened, though it was closer to some people to go to the river than it was the water purifier. Clean water at the church, dirty water at the river, they went for the dirty water at the river because it was easier. They've been drinking it their whole life. It's how they've been living. I and mean, you think, well, that's really stupid, and then you stopped at McDonald's. Understand, we do it ourselves. <laughs> Just a different way. But the point is, sometimes we've got to go the extra mile for the clean water. 
but it's not as convenient to push through to the women's event. The speed friending thing, that's probably, I can imagine, I would rather sit and have my own all eyes clawed out by myself than to do that. But I'm not alone. There was a lot of people that felt that same way, but they pushed through to build relationship. There are wells that you need to drill. And this is what he goes on to say, to be in harmony with each other. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. He talks about don't bless, you know, pers- bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with each other. Harmony, for my music friends, you understand, right? That it's, this is this part, and this is this part, and this is, but it's all different, but it comes together to make beauty. In the, in the 80s, I grew up in the 80s, and we had a lot of saxophones going on in the 80s. And if Kenny G has taught us anything, if Kenny G has taught us anything, just because you can do that with an instrument doesn't mean you should. That'll clear some seats for next week. Well, all the Kenny, <laughs> Kenny G fans will be like, oh, I'm going down the street. <laughs> the point is this. That, so uh, on stage this morning, we had Adam, uh, Adam Nitty, bass player. Is he in here? Yeah, Adam, are you in here? I'm about to make fun of you. Okay. In a good way. Adam's literally one of the best players I've ever seen. Like, I don't even know how he does it. Like, something going on with that hand that I don't know what he does. But you didn't see any of that this morning. Because Adam served the melody. Adam played his part. And it ultimately all goes back to serving the melody. Living in harmony with one another means that you might choose to do something differently than I would because of the way that you have been spiritually gifted to do that. Living in harmony means I don't have to freak out and force you to do it my way. But I could take a step back and say, hey, someone with the gift of mercy, they might run a children's ministry different than someone with the gift of prophecy or someone with the gift of giving. Let everybody stay in their lane. It allows me to not freak out and I can live in harmony with them to allow them to do what God has called them to do. And it might look different, but I don't have to freak out because harmony says, oh, of course it's different. It sounds awesome. And I would say this, that the only way that happens is when you, what Eugene Peterson calls long obedience in the same direction, when you keep serving side by side with the same people over time. I don't know if you guys know who Adam Grant is, his, his uh, company Work Life. He, uh, he was recently interviewed with Malcolm Gladwell and they were talking about something I found utterly fascinating, which is that Corporate America, in fact, in 2002, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a piece for the New Yorker called The Myth of the Talent Search. And the idea was that to make a company be huge, you've got to get the right talent and put them on and hire the talent. What they have found since then is that talent is highly overrated. It's the team that gets them there. And over and over again, they said this, uh, Dr. Cottle, this is fascinating, they said that the surgeon could do the same operation, I was thinking of you too, Brandon, with the surgeries and stuff you guys do work with, that it didn't matter whether it was 100 or 1,000, that the error rate wasn't about repetition, it was about the people in the room with them, it was about the team. And they did research where at one hospital, the surgeon would be working there all morning, and he'd have this team, and he's flowing, and it's awesome, and it's going great, and he'd switch hospitals to the next afternoon, and it, it was more likely to do an error in that situation because the team hadn't been together long enough. And they talk about that the idea that star power is highly overrated because the star might be needed, but the star needs somebody. And they use the basketball metaphor, and I don't know he's squat about basketball, so I'm not going to try to do that. But the team is just as important as the star is. If the star isn't there, the team loses. And if the team isn't there, the star loses. The team live in harmony with each other is what the body of Christ is begged to do. And what Malcolm Gladwell was really saying, he was talking about how stupid it is that companies still recruit stars instead of teams. And I was thinking, yeah, but Jesus wasn't stupid. He recruits teams 
not stars. He's inviting us to be a part of that gift with him. That ultimately, we could, he says in verse 21, overcome evil with good by heaping coals of kindness on those who persecute us, on those... And by the way, when I read this list, if I'm reading it on my own in a vacuum, this feels nothing but overwhelming to me because I can't do this stuff on my own. I need others. I need hate what's evil, love what's good. Uh, you know, the, if you got the gift of mercy, that might, you're commanded to do it, but it might not be your gift, having somebody with the prophecy gift who calls BS when he sees it or she sees it. Those are handy to have in that situation. But yet it says, but love those in the Lord's need, serve those who are in need, those who are justice-minded like me and teaching and logical. Sometimes that doesn't make much sense. We need someone with the gift of mercy for that. All of this can't happen with one person, one man or one woman. It only can happen with a group of us together. The power of the seven to overcome evil with good. I was reminded this, by the way, because it talks about heaping coals of kindness on the enemies. And initially, we would think of things, obvious things like radical Islam. But what we don't think about is Romans 5 says, but if you're not with Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not his, you are an enemy of the cross. So when Alex Aguirre is building this wall, a place of hope in Columbia, Tennessee. He's using his skill, but he's delivering a gift that ultimately is a gift of kindness to them, and he is heaping hot coals of kindness on everybody he comes in contact with who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. This is, we, we, uh, we've, I've mentioned Randall, and I wanted to just, last week, because I wanted you to see a picture of him. This is Randall. This is the one that I told you about that I believe has the gift of giving at place of hope. He lives there. He has nothing, and every time he sees my wife, he gives her an apple or a mandarin orange and some candy and maybe a $5 bill. He's just, because he has this gift of giving. He walks around place of hope, heaping coals of kindness on them. Last night, Brian Haddock said he, he took some uh, barbecue from a staff party down to place of hope, heaping hot coals of kindness, just because the Lord prompted me, what if we could do it that way? And sometimes, by the way, it is our actual enemies. This is Grady, who was here at our mission summit. These are Syrian Kurds. These are refugees from Syria. These are Islamic kids who may or may not be the children of radical Islamic parents, but they're in Kurdish refugee camps in Iraq. He's able to heap coals of kindness on them in living in northern Iraq. And people are coming to Jesus because of it. We are overcoming evil with good. That is the power of the seven, of these spiritual gifts coming together. And as a church family, I want to do better. I want to give more opportunities. I want to, but at the same time, I don't want you waiting for permission from me. If you see that there's hunger in Williamson County or in Murray County, and you're thinking, man, I really see this need, and I, 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 what if I start a food pantry? We're, just, we're not waiting. You don't have to have permission from us. What's the Spirit leading you to do? And maybe someone with the gift of administration comes beside, and somebody with the gift of mercy or comes together, and it happens. And at the same token, we're saying we are inviting you in to be a part of serving and deliver your gifts here. You see, we are not a cruise ship, obviously. We're a troop carrier, Okay. We are delivering troops to the front lines. And at a troop carrier, the person that cleans the toilet and the person that hits the start button on the engine all matter in the mission. And I'm inviting you to be a part of that mission even here as we're sending people onto the front lines of the gospel. That this troop carrier, by no means could we be accused of being a cruise ship here. We are not nearly so fancy. 
but we are inviting you to be part of that. And when we need uh, folks with our uh, little boys and girls, you're investing in them, you're, you're delivering your gift, you're, you're mattering, you're sending them to the front lines of the kingdom. Their parents are here learning about the gospel and maybe they're gonna get prompted to go be missionaries. What I know is this, that everybody matters and everybody's needed. And it's on the church, it's on us to provide opportunities to invite you into it. And it's on you to say that I don't have to wait for that because maybe the Spirit's leading me right now. I mean, Chris and Jennifer, when you guys went to Kenya, who gave you permission to do that? Nobody. The Holy Spirit led them to do that. It's just that we're just waiting on the Spirit. I mean, Walter, when you started Desperate Men Ministries, did, did you have to have permission from somebody? I mean, maybe they thought you did, but you didn't. You know, he sure didn't ask for it. He just did what God called him to do. There's all kinds of opportunities to do that. I'm just asking you this this morning. Shannon and I risked everything to start this church. It's not noble. It's just what God does. It's, just, it's a reasonable thing. Jesus gave everything for this church and every church. He died for a church that we can live for. And I'm asking you this morning, what, what would you be willing to do to step forward to, to deliver your gift? You know, is it part of the homeschool cooperatives where you're investing in those boys and girls there and those young men and women there? Is it part of even just, I mean, you, you ladies and men that help set up just for our Connect event today, you're, you're putting fuel in, in the ship, in the troop carrier. That's how I practice hospitality. You did that today. I just prayerfully consider you to stop going to the dirty water of isolation and rejection and aloneness and come to the clean water, the living water that Jesus promised. John chapter six, that he spoke of the Holy Spirit which was yet to come. Stand to your feet. It's 1045. I've got to get you out of here. We're about to, we're about to, we're about to see some spiritual gift of parking going on out there. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> thank you. You're so kind and you're so good to us. We pray that today that we will discover what that gift is inside of us, allow it to be developed in it for the freedom and fight for it, that we could ultimately deploy together and deliver it, that we might overcome evil with good. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.